Well, good morning, Canyon Hills. I'm so glad to be here this morning. Welcome to all of you guys joining us online. And I just want to thank you for bringing us into your home. Uh, and how are you guys doing these days? Can you guys even answer that question? Because it's a, it's a kind of a complicated question. In fact, every time somebody asks me, how are you doing? And I think it's such a complicated question these days. And I just pause and I think about it. And it's just a bunch of stuff starts going through my mind. And I start, I mean, like, should I tell them the real truth of how I'm doing? Or I, should I ask, like, how much time do you have? How much time do you want to talk about this? Or should I answer it contextually? Like, how am I doing according to whatever's happening right now? The pandemic, politically, what kind of an answer are you looking for? It's kind of a complicated answer. In fact, I saw this, this post on social media recently that said, what one word best describes your, emo your emotional state? And then in parentheses, it says no cuss words, of course. And, and I thought that was funny, the, the no cuss word part. But what do you guys think about that question? If, if there would be one word to summarize your emotional state, no cuss words, what, what would that word be? So I took the liberty of asking some folks that I met with this week uh, on Monday night, and I asked that exact same question. And, and, and someone looked at me and said, you know, I just feel numb with everything that's going on, which I thought was a, was a good word. A couple of people said things like, I'm kind of angry at a lot of things that are going on. Those were vulnerable, and some were irritated. Uh, for, the mo for the most part, a lot of the ones that talked said uh, words like, I feel anxious, uh, one of them actually said, uh, uh, afraid of what's to come or what's in front of us. And for the most part, again, many people said, I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted. And then a word that I really like, it said, I'm bogged down, which means a lot of things. Then I heard one that said, I feel spent. And that's the one that kind of resonated with me the most, that, I, that they feel spent emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. But I think if there was one word to summarize how I'm feeling through all of this, I, I think that word would be unsettled. Everything just feels unsettled to me, even like the small things. Like, it used to be easy to go up to somebody and just greet them. Now it's like you're measuring them. Are they a strict six-footer? Are we just going to knuckle? I mean, are you just screw it and just go in for the hug? It's just getting awkward just to even say hi, you know? And I do we get invited places, and do I need to wear a mask? I mean, it's just, I think you guys would agree that it's getting a little complicated out there just to even say hi to people. And then there's these big things that cause these emotional things, the big things that, that sometimes we talk about mainly on social media, but maybe not to each other, the uncertainty going on right now and, and our political divisions and all of these economic uncertainty as well. And we start to notice, and I think you would agree that we start to become more emotional and to add to that, we, we start getting more on edge. And, and according, first of all, did you guys know that there's, 3,521 emojis. Did you guys know that? There's this thing called Emojipedia. First of all, I didn't even know there was a, such a thing called Emojipedia. So um, if you don't know what an emoji is, you can go right now online and look at them, right? And out of those over 3,000 emojis, I couldn't find one that would best describe how I'm feeling, which is unsettled. So I had to create a combination of them just to kind of come up with, with all of these things of just how I'm feeling about those things right now. So, in fact, even right now, I want you guys to go online and even right now, just put on emoji, put on a GIF, put on, and if you don't know what emoji, and just, just describe one word that tells me how you're feeling right now. And even for those of you that are going to be watching this later, go ahead and do that as you see that. 
For me, if I was to type something in right now, if I was online, I'd, I'd type, seriously, I'd type, y'all are crazy. That's what I would want to type all the time. Because that's kind of what I think about all the time. When people start going back and forth and arguing on social media, that's, that's what I want to type. I want to type, you all are crazy. So as we continue in our series, What a Mess, I want to talk about this idea of emotions. And I want to start by looking at the emotions of Jesus, what he endured, what he felt. And my desire is that, that we would let his emotions help center our emotions or whatever we may be going through. When we do that, we will stop reacting to the world around us and start responding with this gospel-centered emotions, and we'll be able to turn our messes into a message. So I did a little research and into all of the emotions that Jesus felt, and I came up with 39 of them that over the four gospels. The four gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and What's the other one? John, that's right. And, and in fact, I didn't even know that there was so many emotions. 39 is already a lot of emotions, let alone over 3,000 emojis. So I don't know how you come up with that many emotions, but then I remembered that I had teenagers, and over a given period of, of, of 24 hours, you could probably see all 39 of them in one day. So I started to understand that there is that many emotions. Well, Jesus came to earth, and he was God in the flesh, in human form, and he expressed and he felt very real emotions. For example, whenever Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he saw all of these people that he loved and that he knew that his father loved and he noticed how disconnected they were, he felt this very um, deep, sincere emotion of grief because he knew that they were missing out on the very thing that God wanted for them. And whenever there were religious leaders that cared more about the rules and the laws than people, he felt this righteous anger towards the hypocrisy and the sin and the lack of love. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples, and those quickly turned into 72, 72 followers. And he sends them out, and whenever they came back and they were talking about how God had used them to make a difference, he felt this overwhelming sense of being overjoyed because of the faithfulness of God through his people. Of course, I think you guys remember the story of, of his friend Lazarus when he died. And even though he knew that he had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus felt this emotion of this, just this profound sadness. And he, the Bible says that he even to the point that he wept. And he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. But what, what we forget sometimes is that he was feeling this emotion for the rest of the people there as well that were grieving. And of course, we know that before going to the cross, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew what was about to happen. And he had a mix of emotions at that moment. He felt lonely. He felt anxious. He felt overwhelmed, knowing the pain of the things that were to come. So Jesus felt all these very real emotions. And I think even right now, some of you guys are thinking about your emotions, thinking, wow, I didn't know that Jesus related to me that way. But I want to read to you this morning this uh, story that really uh, got my attention as we just kind of dove into this idea of emotions. And I want you, as we read the story, to try to pick up on all the emotions that are going on in one little story, in one situation in someone's life, and see of all these emotions. It comes from Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. And it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. 
A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and the large crowd from the village was with her. So let's pause this for a moment just to recognize that this woman was a widow, which meant that her husband had passed away, and now her only son just died. Imagine the emotions in that group alone. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it and the bear stopped. Imagine the scene. They just pause and they just stop. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. Try to pick up on all those emotions going on in that story. Of course, we see compassion. We see people crying full of emotion. They are sad. They are grieving. Jesus walks over and he touches the coffin. The bears stop. What did they feel when they were all stopping, like trying to wait to see what Jesus was about to do? Were they in awe? Were they in fear? Were they angry because he was interrupting their procession? And then he raises the boy from the dead and everything went from whatever they were feeling to this joy, this, this, this awe as they praised God, recognizing that that was from God. But I want to focus this morning on the emotion of Jesus, him specifically. We see Jesus express his power through what the Bible says, this deep and sincere compassion. You know, Jesus is walking, and of course, he, we already read, there's a funeral procession, but I think it's important for us to understand that it's not like a funeral procession that we would have today. I mean, there would be no police cars or motorcycle cops, you know, guiding us with lights, and there's no, you know, procession of cars. No, what likely was happening during that time was a walking procession with mourners, and some of them might have even been professional mourners. It wasn't uncommon back then to pay people to be professional mourners. So they would walk around with flutes and tambourines, kind of making a racket as they would walk down the street. And some of them would actually be paid to just wail loudly in sadness. And that's kind of what it, that scene might have looked like back then. And, and it kind of reminded me of one of my sisters. I have to tell you a quick story, a true story, because she could easily be paid to be a professional mourner. We, we, were, we were at a, sorry sis, but we were at a funeral one time, and you know how the funeral homes have different rooms where there could be different memorials going on? And we're there to pay you know, our respects and honor somebody else that had just passed away from our family. And when it's over, we all get up and we start leaving, except for my sister Bertha, who's nowhere to be found. So, of course, I'm the one that's been sent to go look for her. And I find her in another funeral sitting there, and she's crying her eyes out, just bawling. I'm like, call her, hey, we got to go because we're driving together. Hey, we got to go. What are you doing? It's like, oh, he was such a beautiful person, a total stranger. And she's like, he's such a beautiful person. And she's crying. And I'm like trying to get her out of there. Uh, as she just feels that way for people, you know. Love you, sis. Sorry about that example. So Jesus walks up to this very emotional, most likely this very loud scene. And there's things that we know because we just read them. There's a lot of things that we don't know. For example, we don't know about this poor, grieving, single mom. We don't know if she's 23 or if she's in her 30s. We don't know how her husband died. Was it an accident? Was he ill? I mean, we don't know how old the boy was when he passed away. Was he a toddler, a three-year-old? Was he a 12-year-old? We, we just don't know those things. 
So just imagine with me for a moment that you have this young mom who's already lost her husband, this boy's father, and now she's a widow and loses her only son. I mean, I think we can all agree that it would be an overwhelming feeling of grief, sadness. I mean, there's so many mixed emotions there as well. But this is what I want you to pick up from this moment. This is what I want you to pick up from this story, because I think this is where we come in, that no matter what you may be feeling right now, as you navigate this pandemic, as you navigate this new normal, as you navigate this mess that we find ourselves in, recognize this, that Jesus sees you. He sees you. I mean, notice from verse 13 that at her deepest moment of pain, the Bible says that the Lord saw her. He saw her. And what's really interesting to me is that there's over 40 references in the Gospels where we're told that Jesus saw someone, which is funny to me that over 40 times Jesus saw somebody because you would think that Jesus would see everyone, right? But what the author is telling us here is that he didn't just see her, but he noticed her. And there's a difference. There's a difference between seeing and noticing. For example, and guys, you might be able to relate to this because I'm a guy and I can look and not notice. I do it all the time. I don't always notice, which is really difficult for me because I'm married to a woman like Olivia, my wife, who notices everything. And, and if you're married to somebody like that, well, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, I had to train myself. Like one time she comes to me and tells me, uh, what's different about me? And I'm like, oh, panic starts to set in. What happened? And I immediately just go into this panic and there's something different about you. Did you do your hair? And she's like, no, I did my eyebrows. They're different. How do they look? And anyway, I slept on the couch that night. <laughs> So now I just basically go up to her once a week and say, hey, is there something different about you? Did you do your hair? Did you do your eyebrows? Because they look great. So, man, you guys should do that once or twice a week or get yourself a comfortable couch, your choice. She notices everything. And, and, and weddings, I mean, weddings are awesome, but they're also the worst because I, I had no idea there was like a million things to notice at a wedding. I noticed one thing. Is there food or no food? That's about it. But she's like, did you notice the flowers? Did you look at the way the groom looked at the bride when she first stepped in? And anyway, so Jesus looks on her, and he just doesn't see her. He notices her. She was a single mom, a widow, lost her husband, now loses her only son. And in the middle of that chaos, Jesus stops and notices her. You know, what Jesus felt at that moment for this woman is the same thing that he feels for you whenever you're hurting. Let that sink in for a second. And when you're afraid, when your marriage is struggling, when you're trying to pay your bills and you're coming up short, and you keep praying and praying for that knucklehead son of yours or daughter who keeps making these crazy decisions, and your heart is aching for them, hoping, believing that your child is going to be okay, please know that Jesus sees you he notices you. And then the Bible says that Jesus feels for you. Jesus feels the very same thing for you when you're hurting as he did for this woman who was in pain. The scripture tells us that when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Think about that. There wasn't enough room in his heart for that compassion that it had to overflow 
the root Greek word here that's translated for compassion is a really cool word. It is the word splagna, S-P-L-A-G-N-A, splagna. It sounds a lot of fun, like molten splagna, you could say, or it sounds like I just put my finger down my throat and I splagna it all over the place, you know? That's what it sounds like. And I say that because the truth is that that word is very much like that because this word means to feel from the gut, from within, from your intestines. It's where, where, where it's considered the seat of emotions, like this very deep sympathy or this very deep pity, like the stir in your gut. And I think that if you were to think about this as well, I think you guys can think of a moment in your life where you have felt that. It's pretty amazing to think of that emotion that that, that Jesus felt at that moment, that he sees you and and, and that he feels for you. And and what I think is that there is no stronger word in the Greek language to represent the depth of compassion, the feeling for someone from the bowels. One time, my family and I were driving on the freeway, and we're coming back home. And we came to a halt, and the freeway was backed up. And as we moved forward, we noticed that there was, you know, lights up ahead, cop lights, and there was an ambulance, and there was a fire, the fire engines. And, and I think like most of you, when you guys see something like that on the freeway, you pause and you, and, and you say, oh, man. You start to think. You start to feel something. You start to say, man, I hope they're okay. You, you might even say a little prayer for them that says, oh, Lord, help them, right? So as we got closer, we noticed that, the car was upside down. And now something else, a deeper sinking feeling starts, and you start to say things like, man, I hope they're going to live. And you start feeling a little deeper for them. And as we get even closer, we notice that that car looks very familiar. It looks exactly like the car that my older brother drives. And as you get even closer, you notice that the car really is his car, and it is my brother under that car. Then you feel splagna. It's hurting from the depths, from the guts, from deep within. You know, by the way, my brother's miraculously survived that crash, and he is okay today. Um, Apparently, God had a plan for him. But you see, that is the difference between looking from seeing and noticing that feeling of splagna. And that is exactly what the Lord saw that this woman's pain was. He noticed, he felt it in the bowels, and then he cared. And I tell you that because I don't know who needs to hear that today, but the Lord our God knows exactly what you're going through. He cares about you more than you could imagine. It doesn't matter what your age is. In fact, I know that there's so many young adults and teenagers that are struggling through all of this and are having a hard time expressing their emotions, but I'm telling you that he sees your pain. He hears the cries of your heart. He knows when you feel desperate, when your heart pounds and it just races because you feel so much anxiety that you could barely breathe. The Lord sees you. When you're praying again for your marriage and you don't know what, what you, what's going to happen or if you're not going to find your next job or you're not going to know how you're going to make ends meet and you start feeling frustrated, he knows when you feel afraid. And for me, when you start to lose hope in society or to lose hope in your dreams, I'm not losing hope in my dreams, but maybe sometimes society, and you start to worry about what the world is coming to, and most importantly, you start to worry about what kind of world we're going to leave for our children, No, the Lord sees that. He notices that and he cares deeply. And the word says here, with 
compassion. So Jesus sees a single mom. He hurts with her. And then again in verse 13, he tells her, don't cry. And he walks over to the coffin and he touches it. And the bears, the story says that they stopped. And rightfully so. And what's interesting is that, again, we have to understand that the coffins back then were like the coffins today. The coffins would have generally been basically this flat piece of wood with wheels under it to make it look like a buggy. And the body was on top. And more oftentimes, it was probably just exposed. So when Jesus goes up and he touch, touches the coffin, he was, it, it, this was a shocking moment. He just didn't do that. I mean, it was completely scandalous, unheard of. People would have been gasping everywhere, like in unbelief, like, is he really doing this? Like, no, you didn't, right? Because most of those people, actually, all of those people were Pharisees. And for those of you that don't know what a Pharisee was, is those Jews who practiced strict observance of the Jewish laws. And they tended to come across and they tended to be very legalistic. And most of the time they were just concerned with the outer being of a person or the way things looked. And these Pharisees had 613 laws, very strict laws. And one of them said that you cannot touch a dead body, or you couldn't touch anything that would touch a dead body, including a coffin, or you would become ceremonially unclean. Well, Jesus, he ignores all of that. He touches the boy, making Jesus spiritually unclean, and Jesus, out of compassion, crossed the line. He crossed the line. And I love that about Jesus because Jesus is a line crosser. He is a, he is a rule breaker. Every time religion draws a line, Jesus would cross that line. You know, whatever line that you feel right now, keeping God at a distance, you need to understand that he crosses lines for those that he feels compassion for. Jesus is a line crosser. You know, what religion does like distorted religion, the legalism is all about the rules and not enough love. And, and what it does, it just draws lines. In fact, churches could be guilty of this. It just draws these lines to keep people out. And the tragedy is that everything that have kept even some of you from coming to church or from experiencing the love that God has for you tend to be legalistic. You know, often it comes across hypocritical, and that's what religion wrongly does. With good intentions, it draws lines. And, and if that part of the church bothers you, you need to know that it bothered Jesus too. Jesus didn't want any lines, any external rule to keep people from experiencing him, his love. He wanted people to feel that, that grace, that love, that forgiveness. He wanted people to come to him where, where he was waiting for them. And even beyond that, he crossed the line to bring people in. In fact, I was, I was thinking of this this week, and, and one thing came to mind, and, and actually is Pastor Wesley. Pastor Wesley, who we just commissioned this morning as a pastor, which, by the way, I'm really blessed by that. Uh, you have no idea how encouraging that is in, in people's faith. But what you don't know about him is one of his ministries is outside the church. He has a Bible study for men who are mostly unchurched and, and unbelievers, and, and he's been crossing the line like that for, for years in his life, which is why we're acknowledging the call that he has in his life. In fact, some of you here today are here as a result of Wesley and Allison inviting you to church. I couldn't think of a better example than crossing the line for Jesus that way. But think about that for a second. 
What an amazing opportunity we have in front of us to take courage, to be bold, and cross the line to reach people, people for Christ. We know people are hurting. Let's be, bring comfort to all of those in need. But instead of letting this pandemic distract us, that we would use whatever God has equipped us with to reach across those lines to bring people in. We have a great opportunity before us. Jesus ignores the rules. He crosses the lines. He touches the coffin. No boundaries, no laws can keep Jesus from expressing the depth of compassion that he feels for those who are hurting. He touches the boy. And imagine the crowd just pauses, the bearers stop, and they just gasp, right? First in disbelief, scandalous, how can he do this? How dare you? But more incredibly, the boy gasps. He took a breath. And he started talking. Can you guys imagine being there? What that would have felt like? Good Lord. I mean, this story is, is so amazing to me because it teaches me, it encouraged me, it shows me that if anything feels dead in my life, if anything feels dead in your life, just one touch from Jesus can bring it back to life. And I know some of you need that this morning. You need that just one touch. Just one touch from the creator and author of your life. The giver of life that brings dead things back to life. Just one touch, one moment. He can give you one word, one embrace, one sense that he's not only for you, that he is with you, and that he has never left you nor forsaken you. That he cares. My prayer today is that somebody listening, somebody here, somebody listening to me online, maybe thinking about coming back to church for the first time or that there would be one moment during this service that just encouraged you. Maybe one word, maybe one scripture, one song, one prayer, one sense of the goodness and the grace of God crossing whatever barriers that you feel has separated you from feeling that hope that you once had or maybe even for the first time. And to know that God really cares for you and that God crosses lines to show you his love. This widow, moments before that, had absolutely nothing. She felt like a zero. And with one touch, her hope returns. That's what makes us unique about Christians. It's that hope. That hope that we all have in Jesus. That's what makes the difference. Now, I'm going to call the worship team back. And I want to tell you as they come back that our reality today is that we're all in the same level playing field. You know, this pandemic and all of its emotions that we're feeling affect us all. It doesn't matter what your position. You could be a CEO, you could be part of the cleaning crew, a blue-collar worker, a white-collar worker. No one is immune from this feeling of being done, of being spent, or whatever word you chose to describe how you're feeling. All of us are feeling the lack. The lack of energy, the lack of desire. I haven't spoken to somebody who said, yeah, I'm on an emotional high. We're on the same level playing field. We're all feeling vulnerable. And no matter what you may be going through, I want you to know that Jesus sees you, he feels for you, and he crossed the line for you. And my prayer today is that no matter what you may be going through again, that just with one touch, your hope would be renewed. That you would give 
God would give you a renewed strength, that he would give you compassion, not only to fill you, but that it would overflow so much in such a way that you would cross the line to bring that compassion to others, that he would give you courage and faith to cross those lines for Jesus. You know, I know some of you right now want to come back to church, but you can't. I get that. Maybe some of you lost the habit of it. And I honestly, I just grieve knowing that some of you may even feel disconnected from this moment right now spiritually. I'm here to tell you, all you have to do is cry out to God who is moving towards you as you speak. And whatever line you feel separates you from his goodness, know that he is stepping across the line for you. He cares about you and there's nothing that's going to keep him from pursuing you. If you're hurting, if you feel broken or you feel overwhelmed and you want that hope back, this is what I want you to do during this next song. I just want you to symbolically come to the altar. You know, typically I would ask you to stand up and walk down to the altar, but we're not going to do that for obvious reasons. But if you want to and keep some space, you may do that as well. But what you can do where you're at to symbolically come to the altar is to take a posture of surrender. That looks different for all of us. For some people, they raise their hands, crying out to God. Some people sit on their chairs, lean forward, and take a posture of prayer. You've seen Kim kneel down on the altar. You guys can kneel down where you're at. Or you can just stand up through this song. You know, there's power when we individually come symbolically to the altar. God honors that by giving us our heart's desire. When we come to the throne of grace, to God's throne symbolically, he honors that. But there's more power when we do it as a body. When we do it as a congregation, we will all agree that we want God to come and that we would feel his presence. And that together that we would pray and that we would say, Father, lead me, give me one thing, Father. All I want is one word. Give me one touch.